0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine. And today is no exception. I am thrilled to be here with Victoria Albina. Uh, Victoria is a cognitive behavioral life coach, breathwork meditation facilitator, herbalist, licensed and board-certified family nurse practitioner, and host of the podcast Feminist Wellness. She's passionate about supporting folks in a truly holistic way, body, mind, heart, and spirit to reclaim their power and ability to heal themselves by learning to manage their minds, heal their bodies, and engage deeply with their breath. Uh, Today, we're actually going to be talking about the epidemic issue of GERD, um, gastroesophageal reflux disease. And, you know, Victoria comes to us with such a kind of a beautifully unique background to take on this uh, ubiquitous problem. And she's going to talk to us about the functional approaches today, but she's also going to weave in some of this other work she's doing, this this mind-body work, the breath work, and uh, some of the the approaches that, you know, in my dialoguing with her really felt kind of exciting and, 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 you know, out of the box for my sort of cerebral analytical uh, usual position. So, Victoria, I'm really thrilled to have you on New Frontiers. Welcome. Thank
1: you so much. Really, I'm delighted to be here.
0: So, first of all, let's just talk about this, the breadth of the problem of GERD Mm. and, you know, just some of the, some of the causes, you know, some of the underlying contributors to this ubiquitous issue.
1: Yeah. Well, there are studies showing that an approximate 30% of North Americans report some experience of GERD symptoms. In Europe, it's close at around 26%. In Asia, it's over 33%. I mean, this is a huge problem that I see constantly in clinic, and my clinic is in New York City, a high-stress environment. Um, so I, I'm really seeing an awful lot of GERD. Um, you know- so- yeah. It's pretty extraordinary. You know, when you were dialoguing with me
0: earlier about the epidemiology, just, uh, we didn't pull up a dollar, but you know, <laughs> when you put a dollar amount to it, I'm sure it's, you know, it's gotta be up there in the trillions. Anyway, it, we, we'll link, we'll link to her citations and anything else. If we get a dollar amount, we'll throw that up. But yeah, go ahead and, and just talk to me about it and, you know, why yeah, it's right on. ubiquitous.
1: Yeah, so just to sort of define terms, acid reflux is often when there's imbalances in the lower esophageal sphincter, when there's pressure within the stomach causing gastric distension, bloating, uh, which can push the stomach contents, including acid, through the LES into the esophagus. Um, patients can experience this as actual burning and a sensation of burning in the heart. I've had patients say that they want to rip their chest open and sort of massage <laughs> the left side of their chest because it hurts mm. so much. A sensation of acid or an actual experience of acid or food in the esophagus. Uh, and sometimes it's more subtle. Uh, so when I had really bad GERD myself for a very long time, my primary symptom was bilateral ear pain. Oh, that's fascinating. Isn't that, isn't that bananas? I mean, yeah. when you right just think about the A&P, right, there's... All the irritation, inflammation, acid going up through the esophagus was making its way through the eustachians and creating insane amounts of pressure and like actual pain in so my were ears.
0: You, were you treated repeatedly for ear infections? I mean, were you misdiagnosed for a long time? What, yeah.
1: Yeah. I was misdiagnosed for about the first 30 years of my life. <laughs> wow. I found a really good naturopath because y'all are magic. Um, yeah, yeah. I, was, I went to a thousand different hearing, you know, ear doctors and took allergy pills and used nasal sprays and neti pots. And hmm. it was not the issue. Yeah, I also experienced, uh, I thought that I had a rundown immune system because I was constantly sick putting this into quotations i felt like i had the flu nonstop mm. so i had a thousand tb and you know hiv and cancer workups mm. and a zantac and we'll talk all about that yeah. and then later you know dgl etc made this flu experience go away Jeez, that's it, fascinating right Yeah.
0: Just out of curiosity, did you get scoped? I mean, is that how you determined it? And did you have some damage or, you know, how did you determine that this was just run or was it because of your, you know, just your trial of Zantac? I mean, how did you end up figuring it out?
1: Yeah, it was actually, um, I also had a, IBS my entire life, Um, blastocystis hominis, and SIBO were two of the root causes of that situation, which sort of led to this full digestive system, irritation, inflammation, uh, and general upset. Um, And a friend who's in naturopath school was like, you know, I don't buy it. You know, you're a very robust, athletic, active person. You know, I was going to the gym for an hour every morning doing CrossFit, playing rugby, but constantly had the flu, it didn't add up. But the way it didn't add up to my conventional clinicians, and I saw a thousand GI docs, PCPs, was to you know, just tell me it was the flu and go rest. And it was this naturopath friend who was able to think sort of outside of that box and say, this doesn't add up. Let's do a trial of Zantac on our way to right DGL and zinc carnosine and the things that would actually help heal this Um, as an experiment towards a hypothesis. I later Uh got scoped, did the right stool test, did a SIBO test, figured all of that uh, physiologic organic root cause portion out. Um, But yeah, there was a lot of trial and error and a lot of like feeling really sick for a long time till we figured
0: it out. Well, I can see why you're really interested and passionate about speaking on the topic. So, talk to me again. You know, as you moved through your own healing journey, and now as a clinician, you know some of the what, what, what were your underlying factors? What are the what are what are you seeing in your practice?
1: Yeah. So, a lot of the things that I see um, are things that affect the lower esophageal sphincter overeating, metabolic concerns, you know, bending or lying down after eating, spicy foods, fatty foods when there's not the digestive capacity to manage those things, and understanding that imbalances in stomach acid can lead to bacterial overgrowth, maldigested carbohydrates, gas within the system. A big issue for me and something I see clinically a lot uh, are things like motility issues. And I think that we are not thinking about and talking about this enough in terms of the upper digestive system. So uh-huh. when we think about the small intestine, and large intestine, uh, we talk about motility. Uh, but I'd say that when there's an upper digestive issue, we still need to think about, is this bolus of food actually moving through in an appropriate manner? And getting into the small intestine and then the large, right? Mm-hmm. I think that uh, one of the things I think about a lot and see uh, is issues with tissue health. Um, and so to, we can broaden that and talk about the terrain writ large, which can then uh, conveniently shift us into talking about lifestyle modalities. So the underlying tissue health of the human in front of us is so key right if there's inflammation if there's an inflammatory response really turned on um, looking at nutrition looking at stress management and using soothing mucilaginous herbs to support heal soothe preserve and restore balance to that tissue from the entire GI tract right mouth to anus is vital right right
0: you may, so any standout foods for you? Food reactions, intolerances, you know, of that nature.
1: Yeah. So yeah, you know, I do the sort of standard elimination diet that most of us do: gluten, dairy, corn, soy, peanuts, alcohol, caffeine, sugar. New Yorkers love those last three. Mm. <laughs> That's where we where we have a lot of spirited conversations. <laughs> um, and then I pull the gerd. Uh, specific things, so spicy foods, large boluses of of fatty foods. So, like your gal who's having like three tablespoons of coconut oil at one go to like try to lose weight. Right, you, right, right. A lot of like bulletproof kind of thinking. It may be great in a human who's not dealing with a reflux, lower esophageal motility issue, um, but maybe really problematic for those whose stomach acid isn't sort of keeping up with the game. Yeah. Um, obviously spicy foods, citrus, and um, you may be shocked or you probably aren't. New Yorkers really fight me on seltzer. They really want their carbonated beverages. Yeah. That's, yeah, right. Yeah. I, uh, that, it, that's interesting. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But the math is pretty simple. If you put bubbles in and the bubbles aren't moving down, the bubbles are going to go upward and right. thus, boom, fly open that LES and acid's going to go with it. Um, <laughs> The other one that gets really complicated is grains. So I do invite people to lovingly step away from, and to be clear, that's always the language I use when talking about nutrition. I don't make rules for other adults. I advise them about what I think is the best course of action and invite them to make their own decisions respecting their autonomy. So I would invite an adult with GERD to step away from grains, all grains, for 30 days to see if it helps. It really often does. Um, But there's a lot of complexity, particularly in this day and age, to putting people on really restricted diets. And I think it can become really problematic really fast, not just in terms of macro and micronutrients, but uh, psychologically, right? right? It's sort of just driving up the eating disorder bus and saying, like, let's hop on board. And I don't want to be part and parcel of that while also understanding that directed nutrition, therapeutic nutrition is vital in healing things like tissue health and inflammation. Yes, that's
0: right. Yes, I do think we're, there's going to be an ICD-11 for orthorexia, isn't there? I, I, so appreci- I so appreciate you not wanting to feed into that. So I'm assuming that you're doing, so as you said, you're A, getting their buy-in, And and choice around their elimination, but B, it's you're not doing it. You're not prescribing it forever. You're I'm uh, working on the underlying issues, and I'm assuming you you guys start challenging things rather early in the journey.
1: We try, yeah, yeah, and you know, for me, it really comes down to consent and autonomy, and. I think one of the underlying issues of GERD is lack of connection with self, community, Mm. autonomy, not feeling in control of your body, your spirit, you know, just feeling really out of control and seeking control through things that do not serve. And so if I come in as another paternal or parental figure to say, like, wag my finger and say, no spicy food for you, no coffee, no alcohol. Without bringing in and and really taking the time to teach folks how to manage their urges, right, their urge for wine in the evening, Um, their urge for that coffee pick-me-up. I mean, coffee's – I'm from South America. Coffee's, like, in my blood. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Right, but if people don't have other ways to support themselves and they've just been told what to do, what to do, what to do, and have no autonomy, no agency, it's not going to work.
0: So how do you, I mean, what are some of the tools that you're using in this, in this area?
1: Uh, so from a cognitive behavioral framework, I deeply believe um, – That our thoughts create our feelings. We can bring some complexity in here with things like polyvagal theory and bring some somatic theory in, but what I teach my patients is that the thought that you're having about the situation in your life creates your lived experience of it. And so if you're thinking today was really stressful, You're going to feel stress in your body, which is going to look like overeating past the point of fullness. And if we look, you know, your stomach's a small thing that fills up rather fast, that overeating puts pressure on the LES and there we go again. Or feeling stressed or telling a story, I'm so overwhelmed, leads us to obey urges like eating irritating foods, reliance on alcohol as a buffer against difficult feelings, To rely on old stories like, why bother going to the gym? It never works anyway, Mm. right? So again, it's really putting the patient or the client in the driver's seat uh, and helping them recognize that their thoughts about the situations in their life create their feelings and we take action based on those feelings. And so the way to get to the results or outcomes you want in your life is to step back and look at the self-defeating self-sabotaging thoughts you may be bringing to the table that are creating that thought feeling action cycle. Well, and then
0: from there I'm a, uh, from so so from that first investigation into mm. what one is telling themselves, then I would imagine the action piece be that maybe doing a little less you know, perhaps eating a little differently, the the knot of resistance that I think, you know, can open up. Right. That's right. what I, I it's, yeah. Okay. What yeah. If, that's, 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 that's really lovely to engage with people at that, um, at that level. But why not? Oh, go ahead.
1: Finish that thought. Oh, no, I was just, uh, the piece of resistance is really interesting. Yeah. I've had a lot more millennials in my practice lately. Um, yeah. And one of the themes that I see so much is eating while distracted. Mm. So, zooming around on their phone, on Instagram, watching Netflix, like just not pausing, breathing, and getting parasympathetic while <laughs> yeah. eating. That's right. right. So
0: we can, and I know that the incidence of GERD is rising and that's why we're yes. at like 30% basically globally. And so our, this genera- the millennials are, you know, probably going to continue to nudge that upward because yeah, you're right. That's like one of the most fundamental recipes for GERD is not moving into parasympathetic. Absolutely,
1: yeah, and that's where like inner child work comes in, right? So like understanding that so many of us are just emotional children and adult bodies and that we act on our impulses and urges from that child place and we act on our fears of change, which is like so beautifully mammalian, right? Fight, flight, freeze, vagus nerve. And we aren't teaching our patients to pull back and to give love to our triggered self Mm. and to recognize the child within us and to attend to that little human and Mm -hmm. to meet our own minds, our own habits, our old stories with love and to say like, no, my darling, You don't need a glass of wine to unwind or to not be anxious at this party. You get to manage your mind. You get to get present. You get to be your own watcher and to understand that these other choices will lead to symptoms, right? These choices that are on auto-repeat in the way back of your mind will lead you to have more GERD. Right. Right? Right. And these stories also keep people from taking their supplements, right?
0: Well, and living their best lives. I mean, geez, we're totally. talking about GERD, which is a real tippy, tippy top of the iceberg you mm-hmm. know, in, in, in the conversation that you're embarking on here. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's pretty revolutionary. Okay. Well, listen, we, again, you and I were talking about this earlier, but why not? you know, with this, with this new study that just came out on the safety of PPIs. <laughs> Why not? Why not just shut it down so that I can have my wine at the party? I don't have to introspect. You know, so, so just talk to us about this recent paper that was, that came out, you know, sort of suggesting that long-term PPIs were fine. Right,
1: right. And, and I will start by saying I do offer my patients to keep their wine, their tobacco, their coffee, take a PPI, and I explain that this will never get to the root and Potentially has some really frightening long-term side effects and I do believe that it's it's important for each of us to be doing this particularly in a holistic practice to holistically say like babe you have options if you want to shut your physiology down and not heal at this root place like girl I have no judgment you do you keep drinking wine do you know do you see what I'm saying that it comes back to autonomy yes yeah so I actually do start there Mm -hmm. and then, you know, I have a master's in public health and study epidemiology and then I, you know, get real nerdy on them and say things like, I think this study is really interesting, Um, but it doesn't, in my opinion, give a green light to safety. So things like cognitive decline issues that previous research has associated with long-term PPI use, aren't addressed here. And I would gravitate towards and have a bias towards thinking that PPI use is in most cases unnecessary, meaning like, yes, when there's evidence of Barrett's esophagus, that's, that's a different ballgame. Maybe we'll just put that aside. But for the average bear with heartburn, most of our patients, short of Barrett's, have the opportunity to shift lifestyle, shift thinking, and to engage with lower risk alternatives. Remembering that our primary directive as clinicians is first, do no harm. And I don't believe that proton pump inhibitors, with this new study in mind, have met that qualification for me, right? Like it doesn't meet an understanding of there's not significant enough evidence of true long-term safety.
0: Yeah, that's right. I don't think that they actually answered, but they did. They didn't. So, so they looked at. So basically, they you know they said compared to compared to their control group, there wasn't increased incidence of fracture. But they didn't, for instance, look at bone density and. Right. There was. I think the only significant thing they found was enteric infection, which is actually quite, quite
1: significant. Quite significant.
0: Um, yeah. But you know, cerebrovascular events and they, they looked at dementia, um, chronic renal failure and so forth. So they looked at some clinical endpoints and said that they didn't find significant uh, differences. I, I, I'm certain if they did a little bit more of a drill down, they would have found those, um, those pieces of evidence. Right. Right. Okay. So this hasn't, this hasn't been a practice changer for you. (laughs) No,
1: not at all. No, it really hasn't. I, uh, both as someone trained, you know, with an epidemiologic back study background, and um, just sort of on an intuitive gut level, I don't think these drugs are the answer.
0: Well, so let's go back to thinking through about. That. So you're you're talking about self empowerment. You're talking about, um, you know, some shifts around diet. Thinking about your story. Thinking about your patients. Uh, you know, what's next around. Uh, treatment.
1: Right on. So, um, yeah, the lifestyle things, right, that, that patients often don't think about, um, not wearing clothing that constricts, right? So, how many people in New York are wandering around and the world over in spanks all day long? Right or wearing a too tight bra, right? Or like high waisted, very tight jeans. Um, Recommending a head of bed elevation of 30 degrees while sleeping. Um, Patients really don't wanna do that and it's often (laughs) so helpful. Um, Not lying down for 30 to 60 minutes after eating. Eating while in a parasympathetic relaxed state. I mean, again, I can never sort of oversell how important breathing before eating is. Um, and putting your fork down. So many of my patients eat at the speed of wolf, right? Like this is their catch for the week. Um, and so they need to like wolf it down and get to the next meeting. Um, not drinking a lot of liquid while eating, uh, using things like bitter foods, you know, even arugula, uh, lemon water for the people who tolerate that bitters to stimulate digestion. Those sorts of simple things are really interesting and and simple and useful. Um, And then pulling back again and looking uh, for the root causes. Yeah. Shall we dive into that? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. So I think one of the missing pieces is gastric emptying and motility. Mm -hmm. And so really thinking about that um, and really making sure to address that. So we start to address that with parasympathetic focus. Um, But if remembering that if we can empty the stomach, we can relieve a lot of pressure um, and therefore reflux and pain. And so I really love motility activator. I love ginger and artichoke. Um, I think those two Uh, Herbs uh, and particularly in the formula in which one finds the motility activator are really beautiful for supporting motility Um, I'll share that my mom's mom back home in Argentina um, was sort of like a kitchen witch and Was a big used a lot of herbs and food as medicine in her parenting And my mom loves to tell the story of when they didn't have a lot of money Uh, Even though they didn't have a lot of money she would save up and buy artichokes and then eventually was growing them uh, and would always, if the kids had a bellyache, would cook the artichokes but would feed them the artichoke water. Hmm. How smart is that, right? Yeah, the, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so um, these are some really ancient, well known ways of soothing the gut. Um, zinc carnosine. Um, Tell me, let me, just before we jump on and then just kind of moving forward with this, how are you
0: using that? Like, when are you prescribing it? Um, and how many capsules what's the what's the range and the frequency
1: yeah 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 right on so um I either do uh, motility activator. I usually do one pill with lunch, one with dinner. Um, I have found that a lot of people have a really hard time remembering to do something midday. So I tell them to put a little Google reminder you know, on their phone so it pops up. And if they forget to just do two in the evening. Um, I also really love the product Heartburn Advantage, and that's one capsule BID. Um, and that product um, both supports the GI tract, the protective mechanisms, um, and supports motility. Um, And what's in it? So that's zinc carnosine um, and also has artichoke, um, sinara, uh, ginger, um, and then DGL. And I, I love DGL. I Gosh, my patients end up using it like candy. Um, so that's deglycerizinated licorice. So we know that licorice as an herb. Um... You're right over there? I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, it's okay. I just wanted to pause for your editor. <laughs> Um, so um, licorice can lead to some uh blood pressure dysregulation. And so the DGL form removes the chemical that would do that. Um and so I will use it either in a blend like Heartburn Advantage, which I absolutely love. Um d- there's also DGL chewables and a powder. Um and so people can use the chewables or the powder. Uh, before a meal. So I usually say two chewables um, or a teaspoon of powder right in your mouth, which is super gross, but it's so, <laughs> it's so gross. It's so, like when you give a dog peanut butter and they're like, like <laughs> what did you do to me? It's like that. Um, and people whine for like the first week and then they're like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. Thank yeah. you. Um, yeah. So Harper Advantage is great, that or uh, motility activator to address those motility issues while also healing and soothing the stomach lining, the esophageal lining, and then carrying all that goodness right on down. Good. Good. That's lovely. Okay. Anything anything else that you're doing um,
0: with regard to your interventions? I mean, I like it. I do agree that that middle day dosage is often missed. Yeah. Um, but you're keeping it really pretty simple. I mean, these are some, you know, these aren't overwhelming, these recommendations, but is there anything else that you, that you wanted to add you might work with? Absolutely. I
1: am uh, a woman obsessed with in carnosine. Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, really deeply healing um, to the gut lining uh, and it also helps with pylori. So we, we can't forget the role of Helicobacter pylori when we're talking about GERD, um, and I think it's really important to work our patients up for pylori when they present with GERD or what we think is GERD.
0: So why don't we? I, I want to hear your H. pylori intervention. Um, what additional things you might be doing? But before we do that, we'll, let's talk about your workup.
1: Oh yeah, so. I'm not doing endoscopy in office and so many of my patients want to avoid things like endoscopy, so when the symptoms are compelling, um, I'll just start treatment often as a, as a first line to see what the what is. Um, and I will start with basics like zinc carnosine, the heartburn soothar, um, DGL chewables in addition, sort of as a PRN often, you know, and I'll say to them, like, if you're tempted to take Tums, give the DGL a try first, right? So they're not taking Tums. Yeah. Sorry, editing side note. I just dissed a brand name. So should I, <laughs> should I, should I read? you know, you were like, girl, don't do that. No, oh, no, 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 no. That's fine. No, you're fine. You sure you want me to say an over-the-counter chewable antacid? (laughs) No worries. No worries. All right, you're the boss. All right. Um, Okay. So yeah. So I'll have them use DGLPRN. Where was I going? Um, And we'll add to that all of the lifestyle factors. And often people can, you know, if can begin to start to see improvement relatively quickly—two weeks, three weeks. And sometimes even faster when we're, you know, they have wolf eater syndrome, <laughs> yeah.
0: when they're
1: eating really quickly, really distracted. Um, or, you know, maybe it's something just as simple as using the heartburn soother to bring some, some gentleness into the stomach lining while taking the citrus, the coffee, the alcohol, the tobacco away. Yeah. Um, and then, so the next level of of diagnostic intervention would be to start to see what else is going on in the system that may be causing an increased uh, in distension, gas, and bloating throughout the system. And obviously, if those symptoms are co concurrent, then uh, or concurrent rather, then of course I'll start with those workups day one. So of course I'll get blood work just to see what's going on. Um, when I think motility, I think th- you know thyroid needs to be there in in yep. the workup. Um, so I'll also think about SIBO uh, and I'll think about the large intestine. And so I'll get a stool test. I currently um am using GI Maps, which is a DNA PCR. Mm-hmm. I mean I'm liking it. I'm liking yep. the results I'm getting. Um, it's affordable. It's one test, it's one sample, which we could sort of critique that and my patients do it, right? When I give That's them the right. kit, I'm like, it's just one poop. Yep. <laughs> get it done. And previously I was using a three-day test, which one could make an argument that you're more likely to catch things like blasto that are sneaky and hidey mm-hmm. um, when you're doing three days, um, but doing one day and it being DNA PCR, um, people actually do it. Whereas the three-day kits, you know, three weeks, a month, <laughs> two it Later. It's true. yeah it's they true do it. they don't want to collect stool no. for three days it's no. gross. no no like, yeah like, honest with ourselves like i don't want to do it either <laughs>
0: right 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 and there's actually a pretty nice um panel of virulence factors for h <laughs> pylori. so you're got, like you're doing a bit of a drill down there as well
1: yeah which is really really great and super useful So, um, yeah, so I'll do a stool test. I, I'm in sort of constant flux around, um, SIBO testing versus Mm -hmm. looking for, you know, looking at the phyla, uh, that's on page two of GI maps and sort of looking at what we're seeing there as an indicator of, of likely or possible SIBO. Um, and of course looking at symptomology as our guide, I'm sort of I'm in the process. I'm in process with my thinking around doing SIBO testing. Um, The other reason I really pause with it is again lifestyle and feasibility, and having folks do a day of eating just chicken or fish is as prep is is really quite challenging in my patient setting, as well as them finding a minimum three-hour window where they can pretty much sit still and you know. Not yeah. too much, but test is is again. That's one of the stool te- the kits that people have for a month or two or three before they get around to it. Yeah. Um, so if I can do the one stool and sort of be one and done and begin treatment, everyone's happier much faster.
0: Uh, yeah, I I agree with you, and I know there's some challenges to the reliability of them, but in uh-huh. in the clinical picture, is you know. It's pretty straightforward, I think, with SIBO. With SIBO, I think with GERD, especially with your presentation, yeah. that can be a little bit trickier. Mm-hmm. But if you can buy a little time, I think, like you said, you—it sounds like you do a couple of um, therapeutic probes, as as the as David Jones from IFM used to call them. You know, mm-hmm. you trial some interventions and see if they respond to as part of your diagnostic workup, which you know I think is it makes a lot of sense, and you know that's. It, as you're treating GERD, you are addressing the presence of SIBO, I think. Um, so yeah, I, I, I understand uh, having some challenge around that one. Right. Um, what about nutrients? Are you thinking about nutrients? Are you measuring nutrients with folks who might've had the GERD complaint for a long time? What are you thinking about there?
1: So I'm, I have stepped, I used to do it all, um, and I have stepped away from that in part because I I think most of us can sort of assume what we're going to find, right? That with chronic GERD, particularly if there's an underlying SIBO or an underlying large intestine bacterial parasitic helminth overgrowth. Well, helminth is over, not, not overgrowth. You got the worm you don't. But um, there's going to be nutrient imbalance. So I do everything I can to really preach the gospel of whole foods, of nutrient density, of attempting to bring in organ meats and bone broth and you know, if I'm not highly suspicious of SIBO fermented foods um, and to vary the diet as much as possible within the framework of the elimination protocol, it gets Mm -hmm. a little tricky. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I put them on a really good quality multivitamin minerals um, and introduce things from my herbalist training, uh, like nettles and oat straw tea, hibiscus tea, right? Mm. Um, Rose hips. Um, So I know that they're getting antioxidants, they're getting minerals, um, and they're getting something delicious that may help emotionally to take the place of the coffee, alcohol, and seltzer that I just invited them to step away from. Right. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I test D and B and MMA and folate, right? Like I do those things through blood work, but I uh-huh. am no longer doing the above and beyond nutrient testing just because I think, I think it's a fair assumption, wouldn't you say, that their nutrients are probably pretty tanked?
0: Yeah, I absolutely. Yep. I think it's, I think it's reasonable to, yeah. to, to conclude that and to just treat towards that, especially with, you know, your food forward approach.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, when are you to going to pharma? Mm. Yeah. So again, definitely we have an endoscopy with evidence of Barrett's esophagus, not a question. Right. Um, I am not personally afraid to do like an H2 bridge. You know, I'm not scared of it in the setting of really smart, thoughtful, evidence-based supplement support, right? So to you know, an H2 blocker on its own, again, isn't, I don't believe going to do much towards our goal of managing the root cause, Um, But doing a short bridge of that with the zinc carnosine, with the DGL, with motility support, all the lifestyle issues is is a really beautiful bridge for folks to be able to do the rest of the work, Um, to be able to, you know, there's studies looking at pranayama, yoga, breathing modalities to help Reduce GERD symptoms and experience. But, you know, I'll just speak from personal experience that when I was exercising, I had less GERD. But, like, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I'm not going to do a downward dog if my mouth is going to fill with acid. Like, (laughs) what (laughs) are you talking about? Like, that's bananas. I'm not going to do that. And so we can use like an H2 blocker plus supplements while the stool test is running or the SIBO test is running, the blood's running, the adrenals are running, the hormones running in the background while the elimination diet is taking the time it takes to begin to reduce, right? To allow for inflammation to reduce. Mm -hmm. Give that patient some hope.
0: Sure. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, They're
0: going to, they're, they're just, yeah, they're, 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 going to appreciate having yeah. a reduction in symptoms, uh-huh. you know, pretty quickly. Uh-huh. Well, so what about, well, what if you're seeing H. pylori? What if you are seeing blasto? You know, what if you're seeing some of the more angry, um, microbial findings? Uh-huh. How might you approach some of those? I mean, you had blasto, so maybe use your case as an example. And H. pylori is,
1: you know, relatively common. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... So to start with pylori, um, pylori needs to be managed, right? It needs to be addressed, absolutely. Tissue health is a vital part of this, ulceration, pre-ulceration, irritation, and paying attention to the stomach lining. And we know that pylori worsens that situation. Um, So if we are being thoughtful of being a mindful, good steward of antibiotics, I would rather use herbs and supplements than triple therapy, than triple antibiotic, right? Therapy with antibiotics for pylori. Um, So uh, as always, we'll just have it as the baseline, all the lifestyle support, which I actually see that making a difference. This is uh, empirical, not, you know, I can't point to a study that says lifestyle factors reduce pylori, but um, what the issue is with pylori is the virulence Yes. Um, so pylori secretes irritants at a higher rate, and, and that's the issue. So reducing virulence helps reduce erosion, and that's worth bringing things in like a really high quality zinc carnosine. Um, it may not affect the, pilo- the counts of pylori, the colony counts, but you will generally, if you're checking virulence, you'll see that carnosine will reduce virulence. And, and thus will help with erosion. And so for anyone out there who's feeling frustrated or confused maybe because their patient is reporting improvement in symptoms, but you're not seeing the colony counts go down, that may not be a problem, right? So, so then
0: in, in those cases, if they're clinically better, you're, you're not super concerned about the presence of H. pylori? Uh, but if you see the virulence factors then you're addressing that i mean how do you
1: how do you figure that out in your yeah absolutely your virulence factor equals treatment basta okay, okay. Uh-huh. the simple presence of pylori and we can get really complicated in the you know the conversation about is pylori a commensal before age 25 28 30 or is it You know, is it problematic in someone younger who's asymptomatic? But let's say we have a fully fledged grown up, you know, someone in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and above with the simple presence of pylori uh, with absolutely zero symptomology. I may do something again like zinc carnosine, which what's the risk there? Yeah. like 20 bucks is the risk, right? Like it's not, it's, that is no harm medicine um, as a way to begin to invite that pylori out of the system and while healing the gut. Uh, But I wouldn't sort of go hardcore on it. Um, With things like Blasto, I, Blasto with Blastos concurrent symptoms, a, a really intense. Generally, an IBS picture, depression, anxiety, uh, big skin concerns. Right, like that mm-hmm. full blown. This beast is taking over my life. Kind of picture, like what I lived through. Yeah, um, that's when I go to pharmaceuticals you know, plus products like Paragard, plus particularly in the presence of heartburn um, or reflux heartburn advantage, um, something like similase, um, some enzymes to help with digestion. I like similase because it's for a sensitive tummy. Um, uh, Yeah, those would be my sort of go-tos, but, um, and, you know, Paragard too kill off the bugs. Um, And then some good probiotics, like a probiotic pearls to begin to support colony counts. And of course, a a prebiotic where tolerated. So again, that's, you know, SIBO complicates everything um, because if we're having gas issues, right, malabsorption issues, so many of the mucilaginous herbs uh, plus prebiotics, even probiotics are going to Trigger more gas creation, um, more distension, more opening of that lower esophageal sphincter, more reflux, more pain, less hope, <laughs> mm-hmm. and less trust in you as a clinician, right? right? And we know therapeutic relationship is everything.
0: So, so talk to me, like, just how did you get through to
1: the other side of your like horrible case of GERD? Yeah, it took a very long time. And I now believe that it is our job. It is our ethical duty as clinicians to say that clearly to our patients. It's not going to make us popular. It's not going to get us good Yelp reviews, but I think it is our ethical duty to say, babe, this could take years. Really? Well, I mean, you know, there's the old standby of one month of treatment for every year of symptoms. But if someone shows up like me with Thirty years of of wildly unmanaged GI symptoms. It's um, gonna. It's gonna. That's years, right? Yeah. If we think of the extent of tissue damage, right? Like, okay, so you think about, I'll be New York here, eating a hot slice of pizza, and mm-hmm. it burns the roof of your mouth. That could hurt for like days or a week or longer, right? Or even biting your lip, it'll hurt for like a week. And so if we then think about like, think of the pH of stomach acid. Yeah. Every time you go to bed, that's washing up into your esophagus, right? And it's coating your stomach. It's, it's going to take a while to heal that. And that's why I start supplements really quickly
0: yeah. to
1: be to soothe and comfort the stomach, right? Getting that ginger, the DGL, the artichoke in there, and the zinc carnosine to do healing work so that the patient could suffer less while all that delicate, tender tissue can find its way to, to get knit back together. In your case, do you think it was the blasto,
0: just decades of blasto that really drove it I mean, and then layer onto that, I'm sure you've walked through your share of stress. I mean, you're in New York, mm-hmm. you're in right. school and right. you know, kind of doing a lot of the usual stuff that, that we all find ourselves doing. So, we, I mean, was it a, that original infection or collection of infections? I mean, what, do you,
1: what was your, Yeah, Mrs. O'Leary's cow? <laughs> <laughs> the thing that was mooing for me, um, yeah, it was, um, yeah, I think the blast is an easy, thing to point to. to suggest yeah yeah and i you know the blasto happened and then we moved to a foreign country you know uh, so we can't forget to layer in lack of connection social isolation being that weird ki- kid at mlk elementary in providence rhode Island with an argentine accent who brings like you know milanesas for lunch and people are like who are you right like all the psychological stressors that people aren't thinking of that are keeping them in that low-grade fight or flight, that low-grade sympathetic that's keeping the mucosa thinned and not healing. And so the blasto does its damage to the enteric lining. And then there's not that, you know, when we were back home, we lived our whole family in an apartment building. Everyone had their floor right? And there was connection. There was the food that my body was built for, you know? mm -hmm. Um, So it doesn't have to be immigration. It can be a divorce. It can be a sibling being born. It can be uh, grad school, you know, all the stressors that you alluded to, keeping the system in dis-ease, out of balance, so that the blasto becomes a problem. Right.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it it can become a really refractory yeah Jeez. challenging yeah, issues really for sure early. yeah yeah I, yeah but you you sound great now you're doing ah, great, I, and now you're knocking it out of the park with this this epidemic of you know many faces um listen so i i just wanted to ask you one more question going back to your own story with hmm. a kind of a variant presentation that's probably not that outside of the box what are some of the more unusual clinical presentations of GERD that you've seen i mean is your yours is yeah. kind of the, a yeah. big outlier but you know well, anything else that we might be thinking about other than the sort of typical picture which yeah. incidentally could be heart so we're right. thinking about that as well but right, you course. know what are you what are you thinking about clinically
1: yeah you we're know seeing. i yeah and you know maybe it's that i draw these kind of patients because I I see the things, but um, migraines, Mm. chronic neck pain. My sternocloidomastoids were like actual ropes. Wow. Um, And I was going to, I had such chronic neck pain when my GERD was a mess. And even now, right? Like I just don't drink caffeine. Well, I drink Yerba mate because I'm Argentine, but uh, coffee. So sometimes I'll like sip a little, like, you know, steal a sip of my partner's coffee and we'll get neck pain within 10, 15 minutes. It's not something. Right. And so I used to go running, I love a good chiropractor for, you know, an adjustment and dude would like move stuff and put my neck back where it was supposed to be. But I came to realize that Once the ear pain had passed as a symptom, neck pain, um, migraines, even like frontal, not just occipital headaches, but frontal headaches, sinus pain and pressure, because again, it's the same um, physiology as the ear pain. Um, Hoarse voice. Here, this is one that I see, well, rather I hear it constantly. Yeah. Right. I, I had it for my entire life. I just, it was just like my tick, but it was no tick. It was heartburn. Um, my mom had it. My sister had it. We killed our collective blasto because blasto is like Cucarachas, right? Like there's one in the house. <laughs> there's more than one in the house. And um, yeah, no, none of us now has that chronic cough, but I'll hear it on the subway. I'll, um, I'll hear it in patients. And I'll, that's when I'll do the right DGL carnosine Sandhack trial to see if my if my hypothesis is right. And more often than not, it's right on. Um, Would you say also- you... Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Sorry, there's just this very specific... Like anyone who's worked in the hospital is like, ooh, I can smell C. diff from a million miles away. Um, and there's this very particular halitosis that is like a heartburn, like this metallic... Compo- like a com- Like if there was metal... Composting—it's weird to describe, but there's this breath that I will smell, and I'm like, that is—that is gerd. That -hmm. is your mouth being washed in acid, and there's an imbalance in the microbiome of your mouth. Yeah, you're waking up, and you can't brush it away. You can't tongue scrape it away. You can't coconut pull it away, right? It's—it's there because it's coming from from your esophagus. It's coming from your stomach. Do you ever see GERD present without
0: GI symptoms? I mean, normal bowel movements. I mean, you know, no gas. I mean, do you, I mean where you're just getting a description of ear pain or or sinus uh, pressure or headaches. I mean, would you, would you ever see that or are you always going to be pinged to think GI or most so of the time?
1: Yeah, it's sort of a yes and. So I'll pick up those sort of like side presentations in a human who comes to me for PCOS or a human who comes to me for a thyroid issue or fatigue or often folks don't present saying, I have these out of the box GERD symptoms, (laughs) Um, right? They'll present with something that is, as always, because we are one beautiful, perfect machine, is sort of part and parcel of imbalances in the hydrochloric acid levels in motility, right. It's all sort of one in the same in its way if we sort of science it out. But yes, I will sort of catch that throat clearing in someone who would never think that GERD was part of their picture. Yes. Um, And then, you know, for, you know, I'm often, sort of the last stop or one of the last stops on the choo-choo train of health that people have been to like lots of GI clinicians and lots of PCPs. And um, so when folks get to me and they have Wicked GERD, there's, there's usually something else going on. There's a SIBO, there's a bug, there's an insufficiency dysbiosis mm-hmm. um, or a, a flagrant overgrowth that needs to be rebalanced. Yeah. I got it. I mean, that makes sense. That's my experience as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. But I, yeah, I I just suspect you're kind of seeing it and probably seeing some more interesting cases because of your your own experience. And I think also in many of our GERD cases, you do foundational functional medicine and you get people better. Like, so you don't, one doesn't necessarily need to identify somebody's you know, ear infection or what looks like an ear infection is GERD, because when you treat the whole person, you're probably going to start to turn it around. True. Um, That said, having your pearls today, it's just like a really interesting eye opener for me. And I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of other folks out there too are going to value it. Well, listen, um, Victoria, it was lovely to talk to you today. And you're, you know, just really nice holistic approach um likewise yeah and the supplements that you've recommended um the papers you've recommended we're going to corral them together in fact you know go ahead and give us a shout out to your website and your podcast we'll also put all of that all of that will be corralled onto the show notes but you've got a fabulous podcast
1: oh thank you yeah so the podcast is called feminist wellness and it's for humans of all genders. And you can find on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, make sure to subscribe so that you get every episode downloaded right to your phone each week, which is a delight. Uh, and then my website is my name, victoriaalbina.com. Um, and there's a free ebook on there, um, on the homepage where I talk about my holistic mind, body, spirit approach to medicine. There's also uh, some free meditations that you can download and share with your patients at victoriaalbina.com/backslash/body backsc- scan, um, and those are some quick meditations uh, that you can do anytime or place to help yourself get really present. I love to prescribe those for right before eating, so people mm. can take a little, right, like literally two minutes to get in touch from their toes up to their nose. Really helps. That's- That's great. Okay.
0: Everything to be on the show notes. And again, really nice time talking to you today, Victoria. Thanks for joining me. Pleasure. I love nerding out with you.